Um, I'm feeling a little bit jealous for those who are on our online community this morning. You're probably sitting at home in the coziness of your own homes. Uh, it's absolutely freezing in our studio. Uh, yeah, we're all a bit, you know, we might have to move around a little bit. And, and so, yeah, I can just picture some of you sitting there in your duvets loving it. I mean, very, very jealous this morning. So, guys, um, this morning, uh, I want to shift gear a little bit. And uh, I don't know about you, but um, I love a good David Attenborough wildlife documentary. Don't you guys? I mean, they're always really good, aren't they? David Attenborough is just the voice of our planet in so many ways. He, he kind of puts such a personal spin, if you like, on the animals that you're kind of watching. And I was watching this, this one of um, a whole um, family Oh, a flock actually of, of guillemots, but it's zoned in on this one family of guillemots nested high on these huge uh, cliffs overhanging and, and, and uh, just the, and, and, well, it's on an island and, and, and the sea. And uh, you know what he's like as he speaks, you know, and I'm not going to try and even attempt to do an impression, but he'd be like, you know, the father and the mother are going out and getting food for the chick and, and throughout this I don't know, a couple of months process, we got to know this little family of guillemots. And then something unusual began to happen. The parents began to remove the down that's in the uh, nest and start to pull it out. They're starting to leave fish bones in the nest. I mean, they're even doing things in the nest that's not very nice. And you could see the frustration and almost anguish on the chick's face. Like, what are they doing? Why are you messing with my nest? You know, and then it moved from messing with the nest to the father actually beginning to push and to prod this little chick towards the very ledge of the cliff front. And, 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 and as you're watching this, you can see the anguish in this little bird. You see, those guillemots were never meant to live permanently on a nest on the top of a cliff in safety. But dad and mom encouraged and, but, uh, and made this bird incredibly uncomfortable because it was created to fly and to explore and there's this incredible moment where eventually this baby guillemot jumps off the cliff and flaps its wings for the first time and glides off uh, the cliff down into the sea. It's deeply uncomfortable for a period of time. But the guillemot found its purpose, found its gifting, um, and learned to fly. Guys, this morning we're in the book of Acts, and we're going to be in Acts chapter 8 this morning. And if you've got a Bible, um, uh, Acts is the book after the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in the New Testament. And we're going to be looking at a pivotal passage. It's a moment in the life of the church. It's a moment of change. It's a moment of movement which is forced upon the growing believers in Jerusalem. It's a moment where it seems like God allows persecution to push the church out of its nest, out of the familiar. And dare I say, even in some ways, move them from being fairly comfortable into an incredibly uncomfortable yet exhilarating adventure that carries deep personal cost. And it's a moment they didn't choose. 
But it moved them to take the next important step in being obedient to what Jesus had said back in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, when he says, the Holy Spirit's going to come on you and you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And the reality is, it's been happening in Jerusalem. And it's brilliant. And thousands and thousands of people have come to know uh, uh, Jesus and the community and the church is growing. And we've probably had five to seven years of amazing local growth in the church. But the nest is about to get seriously messed up. And what I'm seeing here uh, in the passage that we're going to look at is that you don't get um, Acts chapter 1, 8 without some of chapter 8, verse 1. And you'll see that in a second. And so shall we turn there? We're in the uh, book of Acts, Acts chapter 8. And, and just, uh, we're going to back up a little bit just to give a little bit of um, context. You see, the church has grown and, uh, and they've kind of instigated a social transformation team like we have here at Catalyst who are feeding the poor and loving those on the periphery. And uh, they say, uh, some commentators would say that the church was feeding anything between 10 and 15,000 people in Jerusalem. I don't know what you guys think about that, but that's extraordinary. Like, wow, it is amazing. And as they're feeding them, their love is laced with miracle moments. Uh, and the powers that be get the wind of that. And uh, they try to silence Stephen, who kind of heads up social transformation Jerusalem. And like a bunch of the guys that we have, the Rosses and the Carolines and others, you know, these are deep, these are guys, leaders with deep values. And when the powers began to push against what they were doing and what they were saying, Stephen stands up and challenges the system and it all kicks off. And so what we're going to do is we're just going to back up a little bit uh, to seven, chapter 758. Because as we come into this passage, Stephen has preached an amazing sermon, but the Sanhedrin hated it. And it challenged them, and they actually get a hold of him, and they start to drag him out, to, uh, out of the city to, to kill him. It's awful. So here we go. Uh, 58, we're going to... Uh, uh, no, well, yeah, 58. This is what it says. And they dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. And while they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus... Receive my spirit. And he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Gosh, so like Jesus, isn't it? And Saul was there giving approval to his death. Here we go. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and more deep mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church, going from house to house. He dragged off men and women and put them in prison. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip, I love Philip. Philip's one of my heroes. Philip went down to a city in Samaria 
and proclaimed the Christ there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the miraculous signs he did, they all paid close attention to what he said. With shrieks, evil spirits came out of many, and many paralyzed and crippled were healed. So there was great joy in that city. There was great joy in that city. You know, when I read the Bible, and in particular the Gospels and Acts, it just invites us, doesn't it, to step right into the, this situation. And I want us to do that this morning. You know, the reality is church is in a great place uh, and things are happening. I mean, it's like revival. People are getting healed. The needy are being taken care of. God is doing lovely things and uh, you know, and, and, and if I was in amongst all of that, you know, you're even sensing there's real favor in the community. And then the social transformation guys, I mean, they go and, you know, end up, couldn't they have just, you know, kept a lid on their passion just a little bit? But they can't. And then suddenly overnight, we're having to pack our bags and I'm getting the first donkey out of Dodge, <laughs> if you like. And I, and I might not even return. Suddenly overnight, these people are now refugees and asylum seekers. They're being persecuted. I mean, I don't know about you. When I read this, this they, are, they are more than uncomfortable. They're, this is painful. It's unfair. They're being uprooted, disturbed, and now displaced. But, but here's the thing. And I really want us to see this in the passage. And I know Luke is right in this and he wants us to grab this. That their pain, their pain and loss resulted in a whole bunch of other people experiencing joy. Can you see that in the passage? Can you see, if you like, the arc of this passage? It starts with a, a stoning that ends up in a scattering that then leads to salvation Signs and wonders from personal sadness of losing Stephen and others being dragged off into jail. From personal sadness to serious joy in another city. And I think Luke is really trying to say, guys, we need a fresh perspective. We need a shift in our perspective. That there is a principle going on here. That sometimes pain and suffering and the principles of reaching our world will cost. And there are times that we may choose that. But here, and let's be brutally honest, we wouldn't necessarily choose suffering. But here, where these people are pushed into it because there's a world to be reached. And look at that. What comes of it? It produces bodies that are made well. People are believing. There's a joy of knowing Jesus. Knowing Jesus and, and, and for them to know that their futures are secure in eternity. And so we need, I don't know, as I read this, I need a shift. I don't know about you guys in the room today, let alone at home. We need a shift in our understanding. Following Jesus is going to be uncomfortable sometimes. But God uses it to reach other people. He can move us from our own lives and our own agendas towards more of his and his kingdom. You know, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, when he 
talks about being filled with the Holy Spirit and becoming witnesses. That was probably six or seven years prior. And so actually the church hadn't moved. They hadn't obeyed that, that call to go elsewhere. I wonder why. Was it because things were amazing? And, it, and no doubt it, it was amazing to be a part of what God was doing in Jerusalem. But as we begin to read through the book of Acts, we realize that the church had to face some of their own sort of um, prejudices even. You know, it's so much easier, isn't it, to reach people just like us. Same language, same food, hey, same currency, same culture. The reality is it takes sacrifice to cross geographical and cultural boundaries. And, and also maybe, and this is conjecture, maybe, and I'm putting myself into this, maybe we would think like this, why mess with something that's working just so well and it seems to be so healthy? But the issue is this, God's heart is for the world and there's a whole bunch of people in the world that need to hear the love of Jesus, that Jesus came for them and not just for this little crew in Jerusalem. You know, we can learn so much from the church who are living today in areas where they're persecuted or pushed into places of feeling uncomfortable. A number of years ago, um, I was sat in a room with one of our most amazing, closest, and probably godliest friends, um, Leslie Matthews. And he was telling me a little bit more of his story. Leslie's one of our mission partners. And Leslie was telling me about how they, in the early 1980s, when there was lots of trouble in their country, there was a civil war, they uh, felt like God had told them to move back to the north of the island uh, in Sri Lanka. And it was against the flow of refugees. Thousands and thousands of Tamils were leaving Sri Lanka at that time. In fact, he'd been offered a job in a really good, big church in India. They went back to Jaffna in the north because they felt like God had called them to plant a church there. And actually, as they went with real hardship, they spent a couple of years and that church began to flourish. A couple of hundred people had come to know the Lord. But the troubles rose again, and the army uh, came into their part of the island and gave them two hours to evacuate. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine, guys, suddenly, within two hours, you have got to pack your bags and get out of Dodge. And that's exactly what they did. They fled their own homes. In fact, the whole church disbanded and was dispersed and they scattered and they ended up living in the jungle for a number of months. And it was really tough. Leslie was like, Lord, what are you doing? What is happening here? The incredible thing is this. As things settled down and as those Christians started to emerge out of the jungle, Leslie said his church, his people who had suffered so much, had gone and scattered and had also shared how much they loved Jesus. And loads and loads of others had come to know him as well. He told me amazing stories of Tamil Tiger guys falling down under the presence of God in their little meetings in the jungle. Leslie's church had doubled, maybe even tripled in size 
when they all returned. I think we have a need, a desperate shift in our understanding around this stuff. We need a shift in seeing how God can work. We need his perspective on it all. What I see here also in this passage, I don't know if you noticed this, is that in the scattering, the church is also finding its voice. You see, the enemy sought to silence the church through scattering it, didn't it? By pulling it apart. Um, You know, the enemy was like, hey, there's always strength in numbers. Strength in being together. But if we can scatter these people It'll maybe silence what's going on. And as I looked into this and I've been ferreting around, um, Luke, who's writing this this story, there's there's a couple of words um, in the Greek uh, and the original language for this word scattered. You know, we have one word, don't we, for it. But they have like a sort of a different emphasis that would kind of conjure up different images. And so the, the, what, one of the words is scattered in the, original, in the original language is to scatter like ash. You know, you've had a fire, you take your ash and you scatter it to get rid of it, to dilute it, for it to wash away. And, uh, and, and, and I guess that's what the enemy would have liked to have done in this moment. But Luke uses a slightly different emphasis in the language. He says to scatter, but, but the emphasis is this, as if a farmer was grabbing seed and scattering seed. Now that's really different, isn't it, from ash? Because when you scatter seed, you're scattering possibility, potential. You're scattering to grow. And that is what's going on here. And that's the kind of language that Luke is using. He's saying what the enemy had wanted for ill, God was going to use for good. Like, I didn't really... You know, I brought my lunch today. I'm only joking. I have it. That's a big sandwich, isn't it? Share it. <laughs> share it. Share. No, we can't do that in COVID or something like that. Isn't it? That's what a shame. But, but when you think about this, guys, here's a loaf of bread. Like, we often often talk about the body being like, you know, the, 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 the church is like the body. And, uh, you know, uh, and, and here's a thought. Um, you know, here's, here's all the disciples and, and, and the church is growing like mad. And it's, it's a healthy lump of bread in, 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 in Jerusalem. But you see, suddenly they're being scattered. And, and, and they're being torn apart, in a sense, relationally. And these, and these people are being pushed out into the world all over the place. Look at that. And the crumbs are everywhere. But you know what? Mm, this bread is amazing. It tastes good. You know, the scattered parts are the same bread that we were together. What I'm, saying, what I'm seeing here in this passage is this. The DNA of what was going on in Jerusalem is now being dispersed across the known world. And every single one of those guys that left, it says there, all who had been scattered preached the word of God. They, sh- they shared Jesus With everybody, I hear echoes of Genesis. What man intended for evil, God is using for good. I hear Romans chapter 8. We know that in all things, God works for those who love him, who have been called according to his name. There's a scattering and a suffering, but it also becomes the vehicle for more people to hear. They all shared Jesus. 
Verse 4, they scattered and they preached. You know, I read this even this morning in my own little prayer time. I read John chapter 10, that the wolf would come in and scatter the flock. This isn't a surprise, but God used it to scatter good. I chatted this week to one of our mission partners who helps Christians uh, in some pretty remote parts of Asia. And I'm going to paraphrase the story that he told us. And the names have been changed and I've got permission to share this. It's about a lady, an 18-year-old lady called Lee. And Lee had gone from her own village to a really remote part of the area to tell people about Jesus. And what I love is they did it in song. Culturally relevant, they would teach people songs in their language. And uh, the local police got wind of this and they uh, came to that village and challenged them and actually hauled them off to jail. And they intimidated them and, and told them they couldn't do what they're doing. And as a result, they spent some time in jail. And while they were in jail, Lee befriended this other lady. There was 12 or 15 of other inmates in the cell that they were in. And she was quite a cold fish. Um, she had been sucked into a lifestyle, and uh, I think her partner was involved in a robbery. And, uh, but Lee uh, uh, began to befriend her, and they would play cards together <laughs> in, in the jail. It's, and Lee would just begin to explain and share her own testimony and story over cards. And this lady's heart began to soften, and she began to connect And Lee had the privilege of bringing her to Jesus. And she received Christ as a savior and her life began to change. This is all happening in the prison. While all of this is going on, other inmates are listening in. Very quickly, a little connect group, discipleship group began in that prison cell. Lee had gone to a village to sing about Jesus, ended up in prison preaching the word, preaching the good news. I just love that. She'd gone to the village and she preached everywhere she went. You know, guys, I love our mission statement here at Catalyst. We want to be a growing, worshipping community of Jesus followers, passionate about being and speaking good news to the world. Being and speaking good news to the world. I just wonder if Luke, who wrote Book of Acts, would maybe just challenge us a little bit today. I wonder if he would say, guys, why don't you just flip the being and speaking to being speaking first and then and being. Now, I'm, I don't know if you've noticed as we've been going through the book of Acts, um, it's like the posture of Acts is speaking and then being. It's like speaking and then there's power. You know, as you go through it in Acts chapter 2, when they are filled with the Holy Spirit, guess what? It says Peter stood up and raised his voice. He found his voice and preached. And those were, who accepted were baptized. In chapter 4, we talk, uh, there's a bit there where it talk, the, the, the disciples are praying. And it says, consider the threats and enable us to do what? To speak your word with great boldness and stretch out your hand with power. 
In, in chapter 433, it says, and with great power, they continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord and much grace was upon them all. Luke is sort of deliberately saying here in this passage, you know, all who had been scattered spoke, they preached, they shared wherever they went. Just been pondering this. Is it possible that maybe the reason why sometimes speaking and sharing in our context is a bit of a struggle or a bit of a wrestle? Lots of us wrestle with when and how to share our faith. The speaking part of our following Jesus is critical. And I just want to suggest, is the words that we say, are they like the landing flares for the power of God to come and rest on us and work through us? Or maybe a better analogy is, when our words are spoken, they become the very wire or conductors of God's power and presence. It feels like words, even shared in weakness and nervousness, but out of, obo- out of obedience, become like the very lightning conductors and increase the opportunity of something of heaven to come crashing into earth. What we see here is that scattering did not silence the church. But I am challenged by something of the order. When Paul went to Thessaloniki to preach the gospel, it says this, I dared to tell you the good news of Jesus. And, and, that, and the backdrop of him going there was it caused a riot in Ephesus. I think this passage that we're in this morning dares us again to speak. There's no, like being good news and acts of kindness and feeding the poor is so important. We have to have integrity in that. But it feels like at the moment for lots and lots of us, there's a wrestle on about speaking. And then finally, I just want to land on this. What I see here in this passage uh, is with, with the scattering, there is a shifting. Also, possibly with, in, in kind of the responsibility, the roles of people. Dare I say, even, you know, there's not only it causes growth in numbers, if you like, but that growth comes through the growth of individuals. The scattering, we discover maybe more of our calling and the gifting of God that, that God's put in us. Uh, it says there, all the apostles stayed, everybody else scattered. And then in verse five, it says, and now Philip went. And so now here, Luke wants to kind of give us a window into what it looked like for this guy called Philip. And Philip's just an absolute legend. He's not an apostle. He was one of the seven, one of the social transformation team. And we know that Stephen moved in the miraculous, but we don't know if Philip did back in Jerusalem. But we certainly see it here, don't we? We certainly see that Philip now is in Samaria and nobody else is in Samaria. God sent him to Samaria and now he becomes the voice and the good news. And into that, it's like, it's like he's stepping up a gear. It's like in the scattering, we discover God's power and anointing. Was, he pre- was, it, was Philip accustomed to preaching to crowds in Jerusalem? We, we, we don't know. 
but he is doing that here. And as he spoke, the power of God came and there was healings and deliverances. What I want to suggest this morning is perhaps Philip discovered more of who he was called to be. And if he hadn't been pushed, maybe he would never have discovered that the incredible gifting that God had put in his life. You know, 25 years later after this, Luke is at Philip's house in Acts 21. And it says, and we stayed at Philip the evangelist's house. Now you may say, James, the Lord hasn't called me to preach to crowds. I want to say to you, you don't know that. Let's not rule it out. Let's not put limits on what Jesus wants to do with you. Because ultimately, he's called all of us to speak to the ones he shows us. And that's what these guys did. Philip ends up speaking uh, a little bit later on, not just to crowds of people, but to one man, an Ethiopian. And that one man comes to know Jesus and goes back to Africa and, big, and takes the gospel with him. And church history would suggest that after speaking to that one, an entire nation and a continent is influenced. Guys, we need to find uh, a fresh perspective on this. We need to, to, to find our voices again and not be afraid to speak. Yes, let's be good news, but let's speak good news wherever we go. And in doing that, who knows, we all may discover um, that there's a lot more evangelists amongst us. There's a lot more gifting that God wants to use you and me in our scattered contexts, whether at work or in our neighborhoods. I just feel this morning as I wrap up now, I wonder if our Father in heaven is messing with our nest a little bit. And this scripture is making us feel uncomfortable because he doesn't want us to be silent. He wants us to be a speaking church, a church that points to Jesus. Yes, in our lives, yes, in our character, but actually also with the message that Jesus has come and that Jesus has died for you and for me And he was resurrected so that we could have new life and forgiveness and eternity, not just for when we leave this world, but right now to have the fullness of a relationship with God that brings a more fullness into this world. Let's not be silent. I think Sister Lee would look us in the eye today and say, let's speak wherever we go of this Jesus that we love. Shall I pray? And then we're going to hand back over to Chris, who's going to lead us in worship this morning. Heavenly Father, as we listen to these stories and listen to what you did through Philip, Lord, we want to see joy in our city. We want to see salvations. We want to see signs and wonders. We want to see your power at work. And it just seems like, Lord, to do that, you want us to speak. And so my prayer this morning for for myself and for all of us 
is would you come by your spirit, Lord, and help us find our voice and share our testimonies and our stories with our friends and neighbours with real passion afresh and with courage. In Jesus' name, amen.